Thank you, John. Appreciate that. I am Ed Curtis, as you mentioned. I am not a member of the staff here on the church, but I do teach a Sunday school class to adults that you're all welcome to uh, <laughs> to join. It's normally at 11 o'clock. I appreciate the opportunity to come and speak to you today. I know that it is a, a great privilege to be able to address the congregation, and I don't take it lightly. A young couple finds out that they are expecting a baby. And for most, that is a, an event of great joy. But the arrival of a baby requires a lot of work. There is so much to do for the baby, to prepare for the baby's arrival, and only nine months to do it in. Names have to be carefully chosen. Did you check the initials for embarrassing words in the initials? <laughs> and oh, the nursery. It has to be prepared. The old paint simply won't do. Is it to be pink or blue? And we have to get clothes. And on and on it goes. And toys. Don't forget the toys. We need a crib and a high chair and a car seat. Everything has to be just right for the baby's arrival. If you've had a child, you know what I'm talking about. Imagine this. Jesus has been preparing a place for our arrival, not for nine months, but for 2,000 years. Everything has to be just right for the new arrivals, us. Jesus has promised that he is preparing a place for us. Heaven is not a blah alternative to hell. Jesus promises that heaven will be a very special place, a place prepared for those who believe in Christ, for his children, Paul's words stand out to me now more than ever. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined what God has prepared for those who love him. And some people read this verse and they think that scripture must have very little to say about heaven. But that is not true. While there is much mystery about what heaven is like, Enough is said to make heaven a longed-for place to be. Jesus hasn't just slapped something together. Heaven is meticulously prepared to fill us with excitement and anticipation. It is far more than sitting on a cloud playing a harp forever. I am excited about the prospect of heaven and become more so with each passing day. And my prayer is that by the end of this message, you too will be excited. I think we understand something of what God has promised to us as believers. 
And it can change our lives. It can change our whole perspective, not only on what awaits us, but on how we live today. I want to recommend a book in this connection that has been instrumental in forming my own views of heaven. That book is simply called Heaven, written by Randy Alcorn. And I agree with the quote on the cover of that book. Other than the Bible itself, this way may well be the single most life-changing book you'll ever read. It has inspired me to think much more about what awaits me and to give thanks to God for his promise. Jesus prepared heaven just for us. So let's begin with John 14, 2 and 3. It will be a prepared place. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may also be. Now, wealthy Jewish homes had many places where the family members could live together. Multiple generations would live together on the same homestead. There were separate living quarters for each of the families, for parents, for married children with their children, around a central courtyard. Heaven is pictured as a huge estate where each of us has his own separate dwelling place. And these homes were more than just individual rooms, as some translations of John 14.2 suggest. They were complete and spacious living quarters. I think this is intended to convey the sense of family, togetherness. We will all be together. Now consider this. God formed the universe and its contents in six 24-hour days. Jesus has been preparing for us for almost 2,000 years. Now, I'm not suggesting that Jesus spent this whole time doing nothing but preparing our living quarters. Nevertheless, the thought suggests the greatness of what he has prepared for us and the care taken to make it exactly the way he wants it. Just as parents do for that long-awaited child. Jesus has prepared a marvelous place for us. It is certainly far better than sitting on a cloud playing a harp. So first it will be a prepare, it'll be prepared as a varied place. We, we tend to use words imprecisely. Scripture actually paints several pictures of the life to come. And we call all of them heaven. But let me look at each of these pictures. When our bodies die, the, we, the body goes into the grave. But we, our immaterial part, returns immediately to God. Paul writes this, yes, we are of good courage, and we would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. There is no time gap. Paul is saying that when we die, though our bodies are in the grave, 
We are immediately present with the Lord. That is one aspect of what we call heaven. Look at 1 Thessalonians 4, 16 and 17. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Believers who have died before the rapture of the church reside in heaven without their bodies. Where they are located isn't exactly clear in scripture, and neither is the exact nature of their existence. But that is the first stage of what we call heaven. It is the first place God has prepared for us. The second stage of our experience in heaven occurs at the rapture of the church. We receive new bodies, as 1 Thessalonians indicates, bodies that are no longer subject to sin, no longer subject to disease, no more death. We do not live forever as spiritual beings on a cloud somewhere playing a harp. We have physical bodies and live on a physical earth for those thousand years. According to scripture, we will be given responsibilities commensurate with our obedience in this life. Jesus teaches us that we will rule with him in various capacities, but it will be a life filled with meaning and purpose, with activities that will thrill us. We call this prepared place heaven as well. The third stage of our experience of heaven occurs after the end of the millennium, after God has destroyed Satan and this world and indeed the whole universe. Then he will create a new heavens and a new earth. Peter talks about this. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, what sort of people ought you to be in lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will melt as they burn. But according to his promise, we are waiting for new heavens and new earth in which righteousness dwells. The new earth will be our final dwelling place. We'll be in the new Jerusalem that is referred to in the book of Revelation. So we call that prepared place heaven too. So we use the term heaven to refer to any of these stages or to all of them combined without making any distinctions. Jesus has prepared heaven just for us. Well, what else can we say about heaven? It will be prepared so that God dwells with us. Today we think of heaven as the place where God dwells and the earth as the place where we dwell, where people dwell. But Jesus has prepared something different for eternity. God has determined that his dwelling place will be with mankind, just as in the Garden of Eden. 
During the millennium, Jesus, of course, will be present on the earth physically. He will truly be Emmanuel, God with us. He will be as physically present then as he was when he walked this earth 2,000 years ago. Similarly, in the New Jerusalem, God will be present with believers in a deeper sense than he is now. He's in us now, of course, but we still think of him as living in heaven, separate from us. But know what Revelation 21, 1-3 says. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth have passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. So God is with us now, but his dwelling place is in heaven. In the new Jerusalem, his dwelling place will be on the new earth. Imagine that. The eternal God will be at home with us in a deeper sense than we can even imagine now. To get a sense of how amazing this is, Consider other examples of God's presence on earth. God was present on Mount Sinai, and his presence caused the people of Israel to tremble in fear, in fear for their lives. They couldn't touch the mountain, lest they die. Later, God set the tabernacle outside the camp of Israel. Why? because he said he could not dwell with them or he would destroy them because of their sin. During the Old Testament times, the high priest entered into God's presence, into the Holy of Holies, just once a year with a blood sacrifice. And he did so in fear. In fact, by Jesus' day, I'm told, they tied a rope around the high priest's ankle before he went into the Holy of Holies. And so that if he died in the presence of God, they wanted to be able to pull him out. <laughs> no one wanted to go in after him. When Paul saw Jesus on the, throw, on the road to Damascus, he fell to the ground in fear and was blinded. But in the millennium and on the new earth, God will be with us in all of his glory, and we will not live in fear of him. Instead, he will be a constant source of joy. And we will have perfect love for him. As John says, perfect love casts out fear. God's ultimate plan was not that he would, would take us to live in his realm, but that he would come and live with us in our realm that he has made for us, the new earth. God is making the new earth his eternal home. That really is God with us. That is the heaven 
Jesus has prepared for us. Well, it'll also be prepared on the new earth, as I mentioned. The very fact that it is called a new earth suggests strongly that there is significant continuity between the new earth and the old one. Why would God call it a new earth if it was nothing like the earth that we know? It will be a physical place. It will be like the original creation, only better. Revelation 21 and 22 specifically mention things like atmosphere, mountains, water, trees, people, houses, and even cities, all physical things. The New Jerusalem will be a magnificent place with gold streets and precious jewels adorning its walls. Each of its 12 gates will be made from a single pearl. It will be beautiful beyond our dreams. John Piper writes, God promises that the glory of his people will demand a glorious creation to live in. So the fallen creation will obtain the very freedom from futility, evil, and pain that the church has given. So when God makes all things new, he makes us new spiritually and morally. He makes us new physically, and then he makes the whole creation new so that our environment fits our perfected spirits and bodies. There is an amazing similarity between the new earth and the description of Eden. You can see it if you carefully compare Genesis 1 and 2 with Revelation 21 and 22. I'll let you do that on your own, but it will help you to see how Jesus prepared heaven just for us. It will be prepared to remove the curse from sin completely. When mankind fell, the whole creation was cursed, not just people. Jesus' redemption to be complete must redeem the whole of creation, not just people. The earth's redemption is essential to God's plan. God has never given up on his original creation. God's original plan has never been abandoned or Satan wins. His original plan will be fulfilled. Paul refers to this in the book of Romans. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. All of creation will be redeemed. The songwriter Isaac Watts pictures it well in a hymn that we sometimes sing at Christmas time. In many respects, I am convinced that that song uh, looks more at the second coming of Christ than it does at the first. Look at the words to the third verse. No more let sins and sorrows grow, nor thorns infest the ground. 
He comes to make his blessings flow. Far as the curse is found. Far as the curse is found. Far as. Far as the curse is found. The new heavens and earth will, will completely remove the curse that has been placed upon the universe as a result of man's sin. It will be so entirely cleansed that Second Peter that we read before has described it as a destruction by fire. But look also at what Revelation 22.3 says. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the streets of the city. Also on either side of the river, the tree of life with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. One theologian has said it well. Whatever sin has touched and polluted, God will redeem and cleanse. If redemption does not go as far as the curse of sin, then God has failed. Whatever the extent of the consequences of sin, so must the extent of redemption be. The curse on the earth will be completely removed. We will no longer work toilsomely, but the bounty of the earth will be restored. Heaven will be a place of incredible joy, happiness, and contentment because the curse of sin will be completely gone and it will never, ever be boring. Jesus has prepared heaven just for us. It will be prepared so that we can use our resurrection bodies. Our resurrection will be like Jesus's. We will not be raised to some kind of ethereal existence, but we'll be raised with real bodies. The same body that went into the grave will come out of the grave. Jesus said after his resurrection, touch me and see. A ghost doesn't have flesh and blood as you see I have. There was sufficient continuity between Jesus' resurrection body and his earthly body that the disciples were able to recognize him. He could be touched. He ate and drank with them. We will have an imperishable body, but still a body. Because our body is real, I am sure that we'll be able to enjoy many of the wholesome things that we currently enjoy. We will be able to enjoy good food. We will be able to enjoy being with other people. And because the curse is gone, we will enjoy our work. We may even enjoy sports. We mustn't think that heaven will be a time of boring inactivity. God made Adam and Eve to work. Even before the fall, they were to tend the garden. It is only the curse that made work hard. We will enjoy what we do, even though Scripture doesn't give us a full picture of everything that we may do. I think it is fair to say that our new home will be like Eden 
only better. God will simply not be satisfied until he has purged all of the effects of man's sin, man's fall from the universe. Jesus has prepared heaven for us. Further, it will be prepared so that we will see God as he is. I think this is an important aspect of heaven. God will be there and we will see him as he is and we will be like him. 1 John 3, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared, but we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, because we will see him as he is. Or Revelation 22, verses 3 and 4, No longer will there be anything accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and the servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads. Jesus promises, blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Look at Psalm 27 and verse 4. One thing have I asked of the Lord, that I, and that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. What does that mean? Have you ever considered God beautiful? God is spirit, but David's desire was to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord. Those who have seen God in our lifetime have only seen the brightness of his glory, or I should say in human history. <laughs> we will see more than that with our new bodies and new eyes. I don't pretend to know the answer to, to all of that we might be able to see, but eternal life is defined by Jesus as knowing God. We will see him as he is in all of his beauty. That is the heaven Jesus has prepared for us. It will be prepared as a place of true worship. What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. The presence of God is the essence of heaven. The absence of God is the essence of hell. In the new Jerusalem, there will be no temple. Everyone will have unimpeded access to God. I believe that in heaven we will do many of the same kinds of things that we do now. Only God will be intimately present with each one of us. If we have any comprehension of the love of God for us, we will know that we could never be bored in his presence. Do you remember the days when you were dating your spouse? To be in their presence was all that you needed to be happy. You didn't need to be doing anything. You didn't even need to be saying anything. Just being with the one you loved was all that mattered. It filled your thoughts and excited your emotions. You needed no more than that. 
and we will need no more than to be with the God we love. But there is more. We will worship God as never before. We tend to confine worship to what we do here on Sundays or, or perhaps in our private devotional times. Few of us have grasped the idea that all we do is an expression of our worship of God. It involves all we are. In the new heaven and earth, there will be no need for compulsory adulation. We will overflow with praise to God. We are created to worship Him, and there we will worship Him without hindrance and without distraction in the midst of everyday life as well as on special occasions. That is the wonderful and beautiful heaven that Jesus has prepared for us. There is so much more that could be said, but I hope this whets your appetite for what is ahead for those who love Christ. Jesus has prepared a marvelous place for us, but it is only for those who have trusted in him as their savior from sin. If you haven't done that yet, I would urge you to trust in Christ as Savior today from your sin. Then all that we have said about heaven is your future too. Let me give this analogy, poor as it may be. When I was growing up, my father always had a garden. And during the late summer and early fall, we enjoyed fresh-grown tomatoes and squash and lettuce and carrots and tomatoes and, and sometimes other vegetables. And I especially love the tomatoes, which is why I said it twice by accident. <laughs> Shortly after Ann and I were married, we went grocery shopping. And I saw tomatoes on the, in, the, in the store and had to buy some, thinking, they would be just like the ones from my father's garden. Boy, was I disappointed. <laughs> Compared to my dad's tomatoes, they were horrible, tasteless, and mealy. That difference between homegrown and store-bought suggests the difference between what we see and experience in this life compared to what we will experience in heaven. This life is just a shadow of the joys that we will experience there. Every aspect of the curse will be gone from our experience. From the food we eat to the work we perform, all the drudgery of life will be gone. All the things that make us suffer today will be gone. It will never be like a tasteless and mealy tomato. <laughs> it will be like a tomato fresh off the vine. Jesus has made sure of that. He promises that he has prepared a wonderful place for us in all of eternity. Let's pray. Father, when we think of what you have prepared for us. Our hearts are overwhelmed 
by the love that it shows and by the care that you've taken to prepare it exactly for us. What a privilege. And Lord, as we go our separate ways, we do pray that this thought of what you have promised us would fill our hearts and our minds so that we might truly live as different kinds of people in this world. For we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.